Jeff. How are you? Hey, hey Gabe. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's a lovely sunny day here in Chester County. Jerk. <laughs> Why? I've heard you've been having uh, some good weather up your way. I don't want to talk way. about it. I don't want to talk about the amount of snow. I think we're due for like 84 continuous hours of snow here pretty soon. You're not. You're kidding me. I'm not joking. <laughs> so, so anyways, we have a lovely beer to celebrate the the um, bucolic season of winter. Yes, we do. I'm going to pour it. Um, right now. I don't know if you can hear mm. that. Oh, nice. You should. Uh, you should do commercials. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's lovely sounding. I do foley. This is a really. I read the the blurbs about this beer, and I have no idea what to think. Hmm. No idea at all. Um, so, um, why don't you tell it, well, me about okay. it? <laughs> why don't you tell me about what's about to happen here? Because okay. I really don't know. It, it's a it's a little brewery called the Brewery. B r u e r y. Yes. Out in California, um, and they make interesting beers. So a lot of their beers I can't stand um, because I'm I don't like sours, and they make a lot of what I'm told are very good sours. Um, Which is why I was very surprised when you said, why don't you look for this beer? And yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So this one, I have had some really excellent beers from the from the brewery uh, that aren't sours. They do what I think are, are interesting and relatively complex beers, not blow your head off IPA kind of beers, um, yeah. which is a nice change. Right. It is. We've done a lot of the, the, the blow your head off IPAs. We've done a lot of interesting stouts. This is uh, called White Oak, mm-hmm. a 50% ale, 50% ale aged in bourbon barrels. Right. Um, which is, uh, it, and it's a, a robust wheat ale, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, in that they I call it haven't a wheat had, wine, I think. A wheat I don't, wine. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that, yeah, why it they're calling it a wheat wine. It doesn't have the typical kind of um, almost creamy look that a lot of Hefeweizens have. It's right. not like that kind of wheat beer. It looks like but it's, it's not, sort it's of... it's not clear by any stretch of the imagination. No, nope, it's a little, it's not. little milky, but it's 11.5%, so that's probably where the, the wine aspect comes in. Yeah, it um, looks gorgeous, actually. Um, I'm looking at it in this... It smells I, interesting, right? It has almost... Yeah, to me, it smells, it smells like, like it's going to be a sour. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it smells got, sour. It's got like this astringent kind of odor to it. And when I've... I've had this once before. I had it over the holidays. Um, over Christmas time, so that was Real, a couple months. Really ago. Really surprised you liked it. Um, it yeah. says on the it says on the bottle, vivid caramel esque, coconut like, and vanilla ish flavors blanketed in a crisp <laughs> yet robust wheat ale. Yeah. Wow. And um, so you can understand why I was confused when I read that. And this is the uh, 2013 year that I have. Okay, I think so. I think mine is the 2014. Um, these are. Relatively expensive. Mine yeah. was eighteen bucks for a bomber. I think that's that's what mine was too. Yeah. So I think all their beers are relatively expensive, but they um, supposedly make some fantastic beers, which I haven't tried. I've been on the lookout for more of theirs. I've also had beers from them that I've just outright poured poured down the sink. <laughs> it's just not the styles that I care for. It's not because okay. it was like a bad version of that beer. Um, it was just. Uh, a style thing. I didn't care for. I had a, um, um, a a really fantastic smoked beer from them called Smoking Wood. Which smoking Wood, and I thought that's what the, that's that's what this was when you mentioned oak, and I thought, oh, this is that smoked thing you talked about, yep. but it's not. Yeah. So this um, is technically qualified. This is a seasonal from them, white oak. 
along with what I think they're really probably more n- well known for is Tart of Darkness, which is a sour beer. I've heard of that one too. Yeah. Uh, this is another thing that's interesting about this particular thing is they say on the bottle it's suitable for aging up to two years when mm-hmm. cellared properly, stored at 55 degrees. Yeah. Ideal serving temperature, however, is 45 degrees in a tulip glass, which I don't have it poured in right now. Okay, so I am at, uh, I speed chilled this beyond what I would normally have my keyser at. So, oh, I'm at 45.1 now. So Perfect. I'm Look at that. ideal. I think and mine's probably around 48 to 50, but we'll no. give it a shot. Amateur. Try this. You need to get a thermometer, man. <laughs> I have All thermometers right. I use for beer, but nothing All that right. sounds, nothing that beeps. This- yeah, this is totally smells like sour right now with my nose in it. I'm I'm all, almost like pulling back from it because it has that really um, that cherry of, raspberry odor to it. Yeah, and then you drink it, and it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Oh man, it's like this great um, Belgian golden. Yeah, all the vanilla comes out. And the coconut. I do taste yeah. coconut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is strange. That it's is a really strange thing. Really pleasant, long finish to it. Like, it doesn't sour in your mouth or turn bitter or anything. It oranges, like candied oranges a little bit. Mm. But it, uh, and you get the alcohol burn for sure. Um, it's definitely not, it doesn't high, I mean, it's not an unpleasant one, but you get it. You get it when you breathe oh, yeah. out through your nose. You can definitely tell it's an You 11. get all 11%. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You read my mind. Yeah, yeah that's that, good. That's really good. Yeah, this is going to be... Uh, my my wife is away for the weekend to see her mother, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to be sipping on this all day long. I don't know that she would like this too much anyway. This isn't really her style. Hmm. Um, she didn't but, like IPAs uh, until you got her to like IPAs. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And she does like sours now. Oh, she uh, does. To demonstrate. Oh. Yeah, well, we tried uh, the Cantillon Fofoon on uh-huh. tap. And oh, at first so she you was, start, you start at the highest end <laughs> you can. You start at the very high end. And, and trick her uh, into thinking that they're all like that and they don't taste like goat spit. <laughs> uh, some of them actually, I would admit, do taste like that. But, um, you know, if you find the right one, which is when I find the right one, I'm going to send it to you and make you drink it for the show. Oh, uh, man. The, the bourbon really comes out if you, if you kind of prolong that drink. Yeah. And kind of like let it sit in your mouth for a little while. Well, I'm totally getting that now bourbon. that I'm not yeah. touching it, and I'm getting a little bit of that, you know, that bourbon barrel flavoring to it. But it's That's good. It's stuff. also, uh, I think it's well done in that it doesn't club you over the head with the bourbon. Like maybe no, that's why no. they're doing the mix of the half and half, is that it, you're just getting. I think you're right. You know that they make complicated. This is a very complicated thing. There's like ten things going on at once, and the from the start of drinking it to even now, about a minute later, I'm still getting different things. <laughs> this and is the, a sip it by a fire. Things. They're not bad at all. So this no. is totally a beer. Like you said, this is a beer that you could absolutely drink all day. Like slowly sip. And get different <laughs> not, experiences. Not, all. not glass after glass. Not chug One it. glass yeah. for a very long time. Right. And um, the reason I wanted to like flash chill it was my notes here and tap seller say... It was better when it was cold, but tasted um, like a totally different beer as it warmed up. Hmm. Okay. That's something to look forward to. Yeah. I I, uh, I was a little hesitant when I... So I thought it was a stout 
when I got it. I didn't you know you just, I was in the bottle shop <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. I was like, this is how uh, we work people. This is, we're pulling back the curtain of our complex system here. <laughs> yeah. Jeff calls me when he's in a bottle shop and says, what, do uh, I get? what are some things we could do? Yeah. And, uh, and it was in a really awesome bottle shop, a uh, little shout out to them. Uh, it's called the loft above iron Abbey in Horsham. And, the the guy who uh, was behind the the counter, this guy Cole, um, I was like, "Do you have uh, White Oak by the brewery?" He goes, "Oh yeah," because I, I couldn't find it, and he just walked right over, pulled it up, and uh, and I said, "Oh, I thought they usually did sours," and he looked at me, he goes. This is definitely not a sour. And, I, and so I thought, well, that must mean it's like a stout or something like that, you know, because it's in this big dark bottle. You have no idea what color the beer is when you're looking at the bottle. And uh, when I took it out of the cellar today, I was like, a, a wheat ale? That doesn't even sound like a good winter beer. You know, mm-hmm. usually you think of wheat being a summer type of thing because it's like refreshing yeah. and whatever. But this is definitely not a summer beer, in my opinion. I think the wheat wine is definitely a better um, description after after uh, trying a little bit more because it doesn't taste like a wheat beer to me. Other no, than it doesn't taste do like a wheat beer at all. Subtleties there, but um, it's it's far uh, sweeter and stronger than um, a typical wheat beer. Yeah, good stuff, man. I yeah, like it. Uh, I don't know what I'd rate this, but we'll talk about it at the end of the show what, what our ratings are. I'll be thinking heavily about this one while we. Yeah, uh, so, so uh, this whole, like, contacting me while you're in a bottle shop, like, we th- we think about, oh, we we do a podcast, and that's pretty technology-intensive, but most of what we do is actually pretty basic technology, like phone calls and text messaging. Exactly. Yeah, nothing but, too crazy. But that's, like, the infrastructure of, of all this stuff. Like, I think we, we ran an entire business off of, like, a chat board, right? Yes, Slack. we did. Yeah, <laughs> like we did everything through Slack. We deal with um, engineering and uh, designers and all kinds of stuff through pretty basic technology. Uh, maybe that's not fair. Slack isn't basic technology, but most of what we use is just chat. Yeah, and, and I think if you look at chat as basic technology, yeah, and and I think Slack is one of the best ones to do that. But in essence, it's just you and I talking. Whether I mean, we could have done that years ago on IRC, we could have done it in text messages. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways we could have chat and you know done chat like that. But it, I think it's more efficient. But to your point, it's not crazy technology. Yeah. No. Um, but contrast that with like I think both you and I live kind of like in the boonies. You 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 probably way more than me. Um, <laughs> live in in like yes farming territory. Yeah, where, I do. Where it's very much like um, people probably have an iPhone, but they're probably not calling Uber with it. Exactly. Yeah. There's no Uber within 90 right. minutes of where I live. Right. So I yeah. think what we wanted to talk about today is um, kind of like that that conflict that we get sometimes of loving all the technology and stuff like that, but wanting to like live a simple life or, you know, kind Simpler of exper- anyway. experience life where you live with the people that you live around and, you know, roll up your roll up your sleeves and do stuff. But contrast that with, like, it's pretty cool to uh, have groceries delivered when you really need groceries and don't have time to go. Right. Yeah. And I think I live in a weird area where it's not, um, 
It's not so far out in the in the country that there's not decent grocery stores within 20 minutes or so. But we have to drive 20, 20 to 25 minutes to get to the grocery store. So, you know, there's trade-offs there. I lived in town for up until when we moved here, basically, like no, nowhere farther than 10 minutes from the center of town and, and all the conveniences thereof. But we've moved out here. And it's a, it's a strange area because there's uh, some very, very uh, affluent people who live here, and then there's not so much. You know, there's the people who work on the farms, and there's people who own farms, struggling farmers and stuff who, who have working farms that live here. And so you have this strange mix of folks. And I would say... You know, you pointed out the cell phones. Uh, you know, I, there's there's plenty of Androids and plenty of iPhones. You know, if you're thinking of like expensive phones and cheap phones, like everybody uh, is just doing what they need to do. I I one of our big things when we moved out here that I wanted to focus on was seeing how possible it would be to live off of as much local things because that seems to be a big trend right now is you know, buy local you know all those and, types and of things you mean like um so local food, local food, food mostly, so you right? know we joined a csa so we have yeah. you know local um you know groceries from from the perspective of fruits and vegetables there are my wife uh doesn't eat meat uh but she'll eat eggs from local chickens uh and then there's a lot of farms around here that do you know beef you know, there's there's like uh, I don't know what you would call it, grass-fed farms around here mm-hmm. where you can get meat um, and cheese so you can, and like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you can do a lot of of uh, living off of just things that people have either made or grown uh, right from here. Now, winter time's a little bit more difficult to do that, but I just found it interesting that you you know we try and do that. The, the technology to be able to do that is. You know, uh, is still. I don't know that this we could have done this as easily. You know, fifteen still, years ago, you still or have something an internet like connection at your house, and yeah. you still get Amazon deliveries. And right, right, exactly. So you're yeah. you're kind of like riding between those two worlds of uh, I want to go down and get a you know a dozen fresh eggs from from my local you know Joe the farmer, but then I'm going to. Um, Amazon in a roll of paper towels, you know, kind of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's right? kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Um, the other thing that's, uh, kind of weird is that I, I'm in a mix of folks around here where they, you know, there's, there's the folks who understand what I do, you know, I'm like a software development manager. And then there's people who, have no idea what I do. Even when I tell them what I do, they're like, I don't know what that is. You know, uh, I drive silage trucks for a living, you know, where I'm, you know, mm-hmm. they're hauling hay for a living. These are guys who are like, yeah, that doesn't even seem like a real job. I don't even know how you would make <laughs> money doing that. Yeah. Technically <laughs> you know? it's not really a job. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. Um, um, and there's also a lot of people that, um, we kind of meet and interact with who work on uh, kind of these big farm estates around here who are all, all, you know, nice folks, but they're, they're not technology minded, you know? And, and I, I I don't know if I could have gone, if I had lived here all my life, 
I don't know that I would have ended up where I was. I think it's interesting the the way you move from, you know, this uh, the movement of people out to the country because I know a so, lot of people who are doing that. So are you focused more on um, these things are local, so that's why you enjoy them, or is it more you're looking for a different level of quality in those things? Because like where where do you draw the line between um, farm fresh eggs and artisanal uh, paper towels? Like, what, like <laughs> that's what's, a good question. Personally, for you, is there a goal in mind? Like, are you just trying to support the community you live in, and that's that's the idea? Or you want a lower carbon footprint, or you don't want antibiotics, or you want to know the people that produce the things that you consume, or like, what's what's yeah, your? Are, uh, a lot of those actually are pretty spot on. I do think there's also so so there is the um, there's some other things that, that are related to those also, which is that um, our society has kind of gotten very oriented towards convenience. And um, it's kind of having a, a, a bad effect on a lot of different things. So one of, the, one of the things that I feel like I can do, or in some ways uh, guard against uh, the expectation that you're always going to be able to just drive to a convenient grocery store and get whatever you want is to make these connections with different people who actually make the stuff um, and kind of not have to worry so much about driving the 25 minutes to the grocery store or if that one shuts down, it would be 40 minutes to the nearest grocery store. So if we know the guy across the street makes cheese, the, uh, the neighbors across the street from us uh, have farm fresh eggs, the CSA about 10 to 15 minutes from our house gives us all, you know, it does like a, it does a year round thing, but we mostly okay, do the gonna, main I'm season. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, go ahead. Because right now this sounds a lot more like convenience, the way you list off their proximity. So if I wanted fresh eggs, I can drive two hours to go to a really um, highly regarded um Egg ranch, chicken ranch. I don't know what, what, egg what ranch. you call it when they sell I would have an eggs. egg ranch. Um, <laughs> so I can drive. It's it's way out there, but I can drive to go do it, I, but I won't. But if they were 15 minutes away, then I would be like, oh, yeah, I buy my eggs locally because that's actually more convenient than going to my grocery store at that point. Um, what, like, what part of this is you move there because the stuff was there or are you consuming those products because they're near where you live? I think that's the, it's the second one. Um, you know, if we, it, it's all, I guess, a matter of degrees. Like if we didn't have neighbors with fresh eggs, um, we wouldn't be eating eggs, not because I wouldn't eat them, but, uh, my wife is, you know, she's, she was vegan for years and the, you know, eating eggs was a, a a big deal for her, but it wasn't that big a deal in that, um, you know, because of the whole vegan thing, but she didn't want to contribute to all those factory farms of chickens. Yeah. Whereas if she sees a chicken clucking around in the yard next door, she knows, you know, the eggs, they have to lay eggs anyway. So, yeah. so, you know, I went through it, this with my wife, she's not vegetarian or vegan, but she didn't like the idea of egg farms, right. right? Of these like caged in whatever. And I was like, that's cool. I totally get it. I, it doesn't personally bother me that much, um, but if you want to get um, free-range, cage-free eggs, do it. And then she went to buy them and found out they were like $7 a dozen. Yeah, exactly. And, They're super expensive. And that expensive. Changed, 
changed her perspective a little bit. I didn't give her a hard time over it because that was just the reality of like, well, there's a cost to your um, your moral position. Yeah, sometimes. and I, and right. that's a really actually interesting point of this. The, the the beef, if I were to buy the beef out here, the grass-fed stuff, there's like a bison farm close to mm-hmm. us too. That meat is really expensive because what it's giving you is the real cost of... Of, of producing that of meat. Of producing yeah, that of meat. Raising yeah. the animal, yeah. Treating yeah, it and, well. And, uh, and so... You know, the normal meat that you get in a grocery store is less expensive, but it's because it costs less to feed them. and Because it co- it's efficiently yeah. farmed. Economies it's, it's, of scale. Yeah. Is that, mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so in that case, you are paying more, and it is less convenient in a sense because you're, you're having to pay more. Um, but I, I'm still interested in the kind of the the juxtaposition, there's a $10 word, of being a tech nerd and being into this whole thing. Like, how can you say, I want to live simply and local <laughs> and then, you know, want to get an Apple Watch and, yeah. uh, have you, you have know. Have your Apple Watch delivered by Amazon overnight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Living, living simply and locally. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On your Fios. Like, uh-huh. how, that, that whole difference is really, really weird. And, um, well, so another another aspect of of the living simply that I I see get um, let's say exercised regularly is the uh, the the distraction of technology, the distraction of like our modern life with all being connected and social networks and all that stuff, um, which I find I find to be an interesting problem that seems to come up with every maybe every other generation like you know oh no books we can't we can't possibly print books because then everybody will stop working on farms to read books and right. we can't we can't have everybody reading newspapers all the time because that's too distracting and what's this television thing and like moving pictures is look at all the bad things that they're seeing and getting bad ideas and yeah, you know, the 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 fear of new of the new technology. Yeah, yeah, and the the fear of like not having self control. I think is part of it. But at the same time, I think there actually is a big, large degree of lack of self control. Um, you know, with regards to this stuff. Um, yeah, it's a really weird. Uh, dilemma, I guess, is a is a maybe an overly dramatic term for it. Um. But there's a At lot. Least it, we seem to have passed the phase of phase of rage quitting the internet and then blogging about it. That, yeah, uh, I think I'm that, glad was, that period of time is over. That was so 2013, early 2014. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I, I've seen this argument um, as far as like the living, maybe maybe in regards simply. to living simply, but but like reducing connectedness because it's having a negative impact on your life and family i kind of feel like that runs along the same lines of prohibition because alcohol can be abused by people like it's not the thing it's your chosen relationship with the thing yeah that's the you've hit the the nail on the head that's exactly it and i i I think there's a um an element of this, like I want a distraction-free text editor and I want to disable all my notifications and I want to, um, you know, and I, I'm 
completely guilty of this at times too, but I don't want to remove my phone from my pocket in certain situations and, you know, never text at the dinner table. Like those are all choices that you're making. Uh, but that, I don't think technology is the crux of it. Exactly. Like is there could, choices you could that you're making? You pull out a making. pen and paper and write a letter to somebody during dinner and that's equally rude. Exactly. Or answer the phone. The phone's been around for, you know, however mm-hmm. many years. And if you were to pull your phone out, it depends on what circumstances you're, you're engaging in. So if you do it in the middle of a restaurant, you're rude. If you're, um, you know, standing on the street, is that less rude? I hear people, you know, saying if you're in a coffee shop and answer your phone, you know, they should be able to kick you out because it's so rude. But I'm like, how is that different than sitting across from the table shouting stupid things at somebody who's sitting in front of you? Or, <laughs> I mean, or w- worse, I see people standing in line at a coffee shop talking to their companion and the person behind the desk is like, I'm waiting to take your order. And you're standing here talking about what was going on at work 10 minutes ago. Right, you know, and it's it's the same kind of same distraction thing. with a different, I think, cause. Right, um, you know, if there's a lot of people who say, if you're driving around uh, in your car talking on somebody on a Bluetooth phone connection, right? So you're just kind of driving and talking. That that's more distracting uh, than driving without it, which is hard to argue. But it's no less or more distracting than driving with kids in the car or somebody standing sitting yeah. next to you asking you questions. Um, but so again, it's our it's our relationship, and I think some of what you touched on is our reaction to things, technology, um, the pendulum swinging. So you know, five years ago, if you didn't have Twitter, you were some sort of you know coal miner. Uh, from the 1840s. Really? Yeah. Five years ago, really? Yeah. 2010? 2010. Well, whenever whenever it first sort of hit and got oh, popular, okay. yeah. you know, everybody's like, oh my God, you got to be on Twitter. Among that's tech, that's the latest got thing. popular among tech nerds. Yes, right? tech yeah. nerds. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And then, and then the, it the exploded to be the... the um, but now, as it's the, grown the out to be even... To, to be everywhere, you know, it, it's almost like the backlash, the pendulum swings back and people are like, oh boy, yeah, everybody's so distracted all the time. Um, there's a really uh, famous clip, a Louis C.K. clip he was on, uh, Conan, talking about distraction and how we always have to be checking our phones and checking messages yeah. and being distracted. I'll put that in the show notes. But um, I, so I, I think there's a certain amount of logic and there's a certain amount of value to that that thought, but I, I definitely agree with you in that these are personal choices you're making. So if you think that um, phones are a distraction because you know you find you don't pay attention to your family because of it, it's not the phone's fault, and it's not the fact that there's uh, you know 700 apps on your phone. It's the fact that you, that's what you're doing, you know. <laughs> You're, yeah, I, you're I do control. think that it's easy to to find a target for for the problem other than yourself. Rather rather than admit like I really suck at self control. <laughs> like I'm really like I have a need for instant gratification and that's a terrible aspect to my personality. And rather than rather than acknowledge that, um I think it's pretty easy to, to say like, oh, social media is awful. Uh, phones are terrible now. They cause problems. Right. That's not to say that social media isn't awful, but it's, 
in that particular instance, I do think you're right. It's like you're blaming you're blaming something else for your own inability to you know just not check Twitter or not glance at your phone and check your text messages or email for work or whatever. And it it all kind of relates back to this whole living simply. Um, what does that even mean? Um, well, the living simply, yeah, the definition I'd really like to get to, because a lot of what I've seen to be living simply is simple, is, can be boiled down, down to, I want high quality things. Um, less things. Yeah. No, I want high quality things. Like I want real cotton, uh, clothing. I want grass fed beef. I want, um, artisanal olive oil. Right. Typically, the things that are the living simply are really high end, high quality products. But why? It, why is that? Why is it? Because why? it because they're um, representing the actual cost of a low of low efficiency. Right. Like it's hard work to make olive oil normally, mm-hmm. like a small batch, small farm. When you escalate it to an industrial process, you can produce it much cheaper per liter, right? Right, right. So that that price is usually what we're comfortable paying. Or, you know, you get nearly slave labor working overseas to produce the product for you. Um, yeah, yeah. I, so I yeah, was, your labor costs are really low. I, uh, versus local production of something, you're paying the local living wage to do it. But well, I, I rarely see the... I'm living simply by not consuming things or I'm living simply by um, repurposing or recycling other stuff. Yeah. And that's you, you're, you're getting more to why I like that stuff. So you're right. Um, I think there's two things that, you know, buying all, you know, real cotton shirts or whatever there's, you know, olive oil is super expensive. Um, the way I am seeing that stuff, one of the, the driving overall things I've been thinking about over the last two years is to, and this touches on living simply, is buying less stuff, consuming less stuff. But the things that I get, I want to last longer, which means that you're buying, and we talked about this a long time ago, buying better stuff, but less stuff. So, you know, buying those cotton shirts that are handmade they should last a lot longer than buying three of the junky ones that aren't well made. And so, so, so what does simple mean to you then? So at, at the that? simple comes in from, from my perspective of having less things, um, less clutter, living less cluttered life or less. So, you know, we've gotten rid of a lot of things that were just kind of superfluous or we would go to, um, Oh boy, what is a good example? You go to a new place and um, you you know the kids want to go into a, a gift shop and they leave with some you know some tchotchke that they got like an you know an Eiffel Tower or a, you know something like that and and it's something that they you know beg you to get because they need to get a thing and you know as a parent that that's only going to hold an appeal for five minutes in the car and then it's going to get you know thrown away and, and be part of the the junk pile. Um, so part of it is changing your relationship to objects in such a way that those things don't even like, we just don't even go to those places anymore to buy those kind of tchotchke type items and the gifts that we give each other 
on holidays are always much more practical. And it sounds totally unglamorous and unfun, but um, to me, that's part of the the whole simple lifestyle, which is just less clutter and having less things and ha- having less focus on ha- buying things. Right. Um, so when I buy um, a jacket, I'm going to buy a really good one with the hopes that I won't have to replace it for a really long time. And I, I'm uh, guess I, I'm I'm not trying to be a jerk or, or play devil's advocate. I'm trying to to like nail down this concept of living simply because I I do know people or I did know them because they moved away. Um, that essentially they sold their house, quit their job, and they literally went up north to start a goat farm, and that's how they wanted to live. Right? They they wanted simple life, meaning they raised their their, the majority of their food. Um, they recycled clothing, you know, they lived in a very, um, what I would call truly minimal or simple lifestyle where they actually, um, needed fewer things outside their own like family perimeter. Yeah. That's that a good... to me is, that to me is, is living simply, uh, the living high, a high quality life I think is, what often people say when they want to be minimal or simple. Like, I want to be minimal, so I got this gorgeous oak desk. Oh, and, I see what you're saying. And yeah. this glass pen holder and this $700 fountain pen. And now I have my minimal, simple desk set up. And yeah, I see what you're saying. It's a different uh, way of seeing it, but I kind of, uh, I don't disagree with it at all. Um it's so By the way, I, I would never want to go start a goat farm. Okay, well, so that sounds you, awful. I'm glad you so, clarified. So, uh, so uh, <laughs> but but I'm just trying to nail nail it down because I think the expression "living simply" is is used a lot to sell magazines. Okay, with so yeah, in stark white houses with you know glass furniture. Yeah, there's a. I think there is a. They try and conflate living simply with minimal. You know, mm-hmm. stuff, and it's not quite the same. And I do agree with your definition of being simple. So for our, um, for my example, just speaking personally, we moved to a house that is not super expensive. Right. Uh, we Bel- are below trying your to, purchasing power. Below our purchasing power. Um, we're, my dog is barking for some reason. Um, but we're going to try and, uh, you know, pay, pay it off. So we want to get rid of our debts. So that's another kind of complication because... Which I think is an awesome way to describe living simply. Like, to me, you just kind of framed it in the perfect way, whereas you're living within your means, you have long-term goals that your life is organized around, and the things that you do in your life, the meaningful things like purchasing a house are, are directed at those goals. That's like a simple definition of your life, right? We want to own our house, but we don't want to pay for it forever. Right, and the idea that once it is uh, paid off, you've uh, reduced the complication in your life because you don't have to have this, you know, a complicated way of making money in order to keep paying a high mortgage or paying off a lot of cars or whatever. I have uh, friends who have a house that is exorbitantly priced, um, and they have four vehicles, and they're always seeming to be in some sort of like, you know, they're always in massively in debt. Um, and they complain about money all the time. And well, and you're a, always you're always scheming or organizing yourself around money. 
Yeah, or because we're overly worried about it. Like, if, yeah. it, you know, if you're if you were to lose your job for whatever reason, um, all of those those plates you have spinning are at risk of of falling. And so, you know, the the concept of of the simplifying in that aspect is, you know, the 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 both a long and a short term plan of you know. Simplifying the things you have to pay for, simplifying the fact that you have less uh, burdens or responsibilities at a kind of a financial level, um, I think that also affords you a lot of freedom. So if we were to have our house paid off and do it quickly, um, all that money that we would be paying towards a mortgage for a really long time would be going towards you know building that buffer that people always wish they had and mm-hmm. are worried about. If I lose my job, I have no buffer, you know, that kind of feeling. But at the same time, they can't break themselves out of the cycle of buying stuff and then having to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, having well, where, no... where, does an, where does an 18 bottle of beer fit in this? Oh, boy. Well, that's a good question. See, I really like beer. So I'm going to drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> I told, I'm right there with you. I love the idea of not collecting stuff and being careful about what I add to our pile of stuff. And buying below my purchasing power, um, but I also believe in in the the idea that like I don't want to be an aesthetic because like I want to en- enjoy myself and I want my family to enjoy themselves, and you know we don't give very many years together to enjoy ourselves. So you know picking and choosing where that enjoyment comes from was important for me. Yeah, that's a, a good point too. I don't, uh, if you look on, and I think, you know, the, the last show when we talked about YNAB uh, a few shows ago, we were talking about YNAB and money management and all that stuff. It kind of led me down this rabbit hole um, as, as, as happens often on the internet of looking into financial inter- independence and what it means to, you know, that whole early retirement thing where you uh, put away enough money that you can then just live off the interest of that money and how long that at, lasts. At a young age, stuff. right? At a young age. And, you know, right, exactly. Some of these people do it in their 30s or whatever. And you go on these forums, and I think it's great to question, uh, do I really need this type of stuff? But you'll go, these folks go to the, there are people I would literally the eating garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, no I, joke. I've read where people are like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, dumpster diving because you can get edible food. Uh, I know some family members that are like this. They go to the grocery store, and even if it's obviously going bad, but it's on an extreme sale, yep. they purchase it. Yeah. And that, to me, is not what I want to spend my life doing. Yeah, because <laughs> I totally agree is, with you. That's not... It's not what you're signing up for. Or, you know, these folks who are selling their car and the car, I mean, there's no doubt that a car is a huge expense. Um, I had a friend who got rid of his car and I, I was thinking the whole time, like, it, you know, pretty much all the things that I know of you and know that you do all had, you know, related to you driving someplace and doing a thing. So how's that going to fit in when you don't have a car yeah. anymore? And... Um, you know, he simplified it, his life. Though. Simplified his life. Um, <laughs> he's not but, going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, at the same time, he's like, "Oh God, I hate riding the bus to work every day. This is terrible and awful." And he complained all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, the, you live with your choices." And 
I don't. I think he has regretted it sometimes because it has restricted what he's done. But he's also in a money saving mode too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely simplified. Like you said, it simplified his life in that he can't even entertain the thought of, you know, going hiking in the mountains unless yeah, right. there's a lot more logistics of finding friends who want to go and et cetera, et cetera. Or, uh, re- or renting a car or, or renting something a like car. that. But, but then it's not a spur of the moment thing. Like it's a commitment that you have planned for and it's an, it's an event. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that. Cars are, cars are definitely a thing I struggle with because I like – being able to get in a car and go wherever I want. Um, but I hate doing maintenance on cars. Yeah, I, hate, I do too. I hate, I hate worrying about cars breaking down. Um, I hate paying for cars. A lot of expense with a car. Like, a like lot I'd be of happy expenses. to have a cheap used car, except cheap used cars break down and then it's a pain in the butt. So Yeah, and um, where I work, it's it's an hour and 10 minutes away. So, you know, if I as long as I'm going to work there, uh, I have to have a car. That's just a, I just count that in the cost of having a job. <laughs> you know, like I, I, the trade-off is I could uh, get a, a cheap car uh, or just share a car with my wife, but you know that restricts where I could work or yeah. how I would work. And you know, she works from home, so it's it's not a big deal for her. But then she can't go do what she wants to do if she doesn't have a car. So mm-hmm. to us, living way out here. Yes, we can, it's a quick drive to buy those local eggs, but it's a seven mile walk. I'm not going to walk to get those eggs, especially when it's <laughs> nine degrees outside. Yeah. Um, and to get groceries of any kind, you know, to get the staples or whatever to go like, you know, to a regular major grocery store, it's 20, 25 minutes. So I can't not have a car to do that. So there, it's a, it's a necessary uh, expense out here. Um, but it does definitely beg the question, what, how much of a car do you need? We have really, really, really low, (laughs) low cost, low maintenance cars, both of us, just tiny little things to get around it. And those were also part of those conscious decisions to simplify in that it, by getting those, we'll be able to pay them off quicker. They still get us around just fine. And, you know, then we'll have no debt. And I think, um, you know, just kind of in kicking these things around, I think that, that not having debt piece is a large part for me of the simplifying, you know, because yeah. that's no, the, that's, I, those I, things I are hard to keep going. Those, those plates are hard to keep spinning. And it is, you're a worrier like I am. Um, but, you know, there's always just that worry of like, what happens if? And uh, being able to kind of mitigate that risk with some sort of, not magical thinking, but like, here are the steps I'm taking within 10 years, this will be the case, you know, or here's my contingency plan in case that doesn't happen. And, um, you know, then you I'm, can I'm just, I was really curious about this idea of the like CSA buying local, all that stuff. We did, we did that, um, two years ago, I guess, something like that. And I love the idea of like, it's from a local farm. I pick up my bucket of, uh, you know, vegetables each week, and then we make food around what was available. That like that seemed, it seemed like I was choosing a simple life, but mm-hmm. it actually complicated our life in other ways. Yeah, like it did. I had to plan meals around what we were getting, right. and when you have 
huge bushels of kale several weeks in a row. <laughs> How do you cook a rutabaga? <laughs> right. It, 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 um, it made things really difficult, like coming up with recipes that were appetizing for vegetables that we wouldn't normally eat. It was fun at first, and then after a while, it just became monotonous, and I would have to spend part of the week looking up recipes for, like, how am I making okra that, like, anybody will want? <laughs> you know, that, that's <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good one. And that it, doesn't, definitely doesn't simplify, but I do think there's also the, the – there's another aspect to all this, which is um, – being healthier and that kind of stuff. And that's a totally oh, different thing. Yeah. But you, and you're and end the up... feeling better about your impact on, like it takes a lot of energy to ship an orange from California out to Massachusetts right. or from South America out to Massachusetts. That's a huge amount of energy expended for that one small orange. Um, and, you know, I recognize that. But on the other hand, I like oranges during the winter. <laughs> So, yeah. like, I, I'm, de I'm definitely torn between being selfish in certain areas and and being conscientious. Um, the CSA thing was because I wanted to see farmers, local farmers succeed. And that was my whole idea is, like, I want to join the CSA because I want to put money back into something I care about, which is that there's local farms <laughs> instead of huge industrial farms. And... And that was great it, until it negatively impacted me to the point like I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, and I, it, I wasn't about to just donate whatever it was seven hundred dollars for the season or something. Yeah, like it's not cheap. I mean, but you're you know when you parse it out over the year, you're getting something, and you're getting a lot of you you're getting a lot of vegetables and supposed value for that. You're also doing that kind of you're supporting local produce and all that stuff. How much? I don't, I, I don't, I can't say for sure how much this influences these decisions, but I'm kind of a pessimist uh, about what the world is going to be like in five years from now. Uh, <laughs> and so to me also having a lot of these kind of local um, ways to get things that are, when you think about, like you said, the cost of getting an orange from Mexico or California to your grocery store here in you know, Pennsylvania in my case, or Boston in your case, um, if energy costs keep going up and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there just won't be any stuff that you can get. Yeah, like but that's that. the great thing about the like the the supposed free market, right? Is that when that shifts enough the other way, then it becomes a viable business for a local farmer, right? To to actually run a farm and sell stuff uh, directly because. An orange from South America, if it costs $7 and it's only 50 cents to get one at the local farm or whatever, whatever it happens to be, um, that makes a lot more like economic sense. Right. right. But I do think that the, you know, being able to support then that local farm now you know, is, is a good thing to do. Like, I didn't really know if we could do this <laughs> when we did it. Like we did as much planning as we could, yeah. but I think deep but do down. You support like a, do you buy your books from Amazon or do you support a local bookshop? I mean, it comes, oh, it starts to break questions. down to all these other areas of your life that maybe aren't worth your trouble most of the time. Like I lived in a town where I really did want to support the local bookshop. And I, that's where I bought my books. Like I would, I did the inverse of what you hear most people doing. I looked on Amazon, found the books I wanted, and then I went to my local bookshop and bought them. 
because it wasn't a Barnes and Noble because that's not a local bookshop. Right. Seriously, quit quit kidding yourself. <laughs> um, it was a little like individually owned nice bookshop, but I got to the point where like the prices didn't make sense to me anymore with what they were pricing their books at relative to the rest of the market. And it, it almost felt like, I don't know, not that they were taking advantage, but they weren't able to maintain their business in a way that made sense. Because, yeah, I would pay $20 for a $7 book, right? Um, but that $20 could have been spent on other small businesses that I wouldn't now spend it on. Yeah, and and I think there's also this trade-off that you're making, and this is part of the trade-off that we're talking about with as far as the tech stuff goes and you know, if you're buying all these books, that means there's books that are going to be sitting around. This goes back to my simplifying the ownership of things. Um, in that, buy an electronic book. If I, yeah, if so, I buy a Kindle and I buy my books on there, and now I don't need seven shelves for books. I mm-hmm. have one Kindle, um, but that's the weird juxtaposition I'm talking about. You know, I've got this. I, I'm okay with the the technology to reduce my you know, burden of moving books from house to house or having storage for them. And, it, I, you know, this awareness of that hypocriticality, if that's a word, or being a hypocrite, <laughs> you know, like um, Amazon uh, it does some sketchy stuff. Um, you're right about the impact to local bookstores. Um, but again, this is a personal preference for me. I am a tech nerd and I don't like to carry around physical books i just don't (laughs) i can't read them at night easily i don't have any sort of you know romantic notion of the smell of a new paperback book i don't give it uh crap um about that Uh, stuff wait wait we're we're an adult rated podcast i don't give a shit then um (laughs) so I, i i understand some people do um and so I'm not saying that they're making bad choices, but I'm saying that the choice that I, I'm making in this situation is, to me, it's a lot more convenient. So I went to uh, Las Vegas a couple weeks ago, and to me, it was super convenient to have my Kindle and all of the books I'd ever purchased sitting on my phone that I could read. Because when I was a kid, I always used to go on vacation with like five books because I didn't know if I was going to have to read a whole bunch or I get sick of the one I'm reading and I want to read a different one. And so I guess I, I, uh, I would always take way too many books on vacation or wherever. I was a real book nerd. I used to do the same thing. Um, tons of books, tons and tons of books that were far too big to be in a carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so to me, the Kindle was like this dream that I've been thinking of since I was in, you know, fifth grade or something. Um, and uh, to have that dream kind of made reality by technology is uh, I'm not going to go back to books again just because, um, you know, mom and pop uh, bookshops aren't going to be able to stay afloat. Um, I wish that I could support Amazon unreservedly as a company. Um, I don't think that that's possible either. I wish there was a book, you know, an electronic book company that I was like, you know, felt happy to support. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I, it's tough, right? Because, because you're trying to balance your, your sense of morality versus your sense of self-preservation, I yeah, guess is what I would call it. Like yeah. you're, 
you're like, well, I don't really want to do business with Amazon because they have they they're a crappy employer and they abuse partners and they're you know they they do some shady stuff that I don't like. But on the other hand, it is super awesome to order a pair of shoes and get them the next day. Like it's super awesome to or to order a book and read it instantly. Like I'm reading uh, that book I I showed you vintage beer, right? I did that as Kindle. Like I don't have a Kindle, but I did did it on my um iPad to read it. Oh, yeah, okay. Because I wanted to read it right away. And I didn't want to have a book on my shelf. That's the other thing. Yeah. It was super super nice, but on the other hand, like I feel kind of like well, is that the greatest deal for like the person who wrote the book? Probably not. Uh should I have gone to a bookstore? Probably is that bookstore I used to go to still open? No, <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, no, they closed down. It was it was a really nice bookstore, but you know, to get a book that they didn't have took two weeks. Right? To, you know, to everything was inconvenient. So and, you know, I don't know. This is even something we can get a handle on here. But there's the shifting of these technologies and things. Like there's something that is un. Um, like you can't really argue with the shifting of books from paper to ebooks as being more convenient if you have a Kindle or an iPad. I mean, it's just it is more convenient. Be, you know, you can carry 175 books. It's much with less you. convenient if you can't afford to buy books, though, because libraries have all kinds of new restrictions on electronic books. Oh, that's that makes a big it one much too. more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so even just the simple choice of moving to electronic books is is probably hurting some aspect of our environment. Right? Yeah, same with it's, same it, with streaming radio uh, music yeah. services. You know, the artists right. are saying it's that really they can It's really convenient can't... to not buy an album, but on the other hand, uh, it doesn't make much money for for the people the who make the musicians. Yeah, the yeah. musicians who make the music. Yeah, and so you know, it's this balance between being a consumer and being a maker, and I think um, it all kind of ties into this uh, simple and local versus you know, transitory and complicated and technology-based. And it's, I don't think, that, you know, we're not going to, you know, come out of this and say, whew, glad we sorted that out. That was easy. Um, I, I don't think there's any sorting to do. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, progress will march on until um, the climate shifts and we all fall into the ocean. <laughs> then, uh, you know, progress won't march on so fast. One of the things that actually... Um, being technology and a complicated technology, but it simplified my life is uh, this beer app that we made, Tap Cellar. <laughs> oh, is this is this the sponsor? <laughs> this is the sponsor. Okay, um, all right. And uh, so, wait, yeah. Wait. So, what? What are we? Uh, yeah. Why don't we jump into the grade here? Yeah, I was just going to do that. <laughs> I've, I've had about half of this glass. Me, and me too. It is. It's a stomper. It's an ass stomper. Yeah. It's it's. it's um, <laughs> 11, 11.5% and you of a feel pretty all of it. tasty beer. Um, I I love the vanilla and the yeah. coconut flavors to it. Let me bring it up here. White oak. And the or- I really definitely taste orange peel in this. Yeah, I do too. White oak. There it is in tap mm. cellar. Mm. Um, tagged for Nerds on Draft so that I can bring that up whenever I need to. And I am going to rate this, you know, while it is good within its class, and this brings up the whole, you know, grading within (laughs) the class versus, you know, overall, 
if I, I think I tend to do all of my grading from the perspective of if I saw all of these beers on tap, would I take this over that, you know? So if I'm looking, oh, yeah. so if I'm looking at this, um, it still has to be really high up there. Like, I think I would take so it. So I already had a rating because I had this over the um, Christmas time break. Okay. And I gave it an, it's at the tail end of my A minus. Hmm. I just it's gave good. it an it's A. It's good. I gave it an A because when I look at the things that were around that grade, um, would you rate this, do you rate this higher than a Sriracha Ace? Because that uh, was a fantastic beer Sirachi. we had. The Sirachi Ace was, a f- I don't know, maybe 10 episodes ago. And I loved that beer. But when I'm, you know, when I'm comparing these things, um, this is a really, really tasty, tasty, tasty thing. I'm going to do a yeah, different sort. I, um... I gave it I gave it an A minus as well. Okay. Um, but it's a higher A minus. So, you know, if you're going to be a um stickler. like a pre-med a pre-med uh grade stickler <laughs> there, it's a higher A minus than um the uh white oak. So, which which I think is about right. Although if I walked into a bar and they had sriracha ace and white oak on tap, I'd choose the white oak. Right. Because I want to try it on tap. So, um, do you have a Nerds on Draft saved filter? Yeah. If you sort that on grade, what is your highest rated beer that we've had on the show? Oh, well, I've reset my my data several times testing, oh. but uh, <laughs> I don't know if I have everything anymore. Mine is I've Hop done Ranch, this so actually. many times. Which is kind of a, an interesting discovery, I just realized. What? Hop Ranch is rated top rate top rated beer of all the ones we've had. If I look at just See. grades, I sorted all Nerd on Draft beers, sorted on grade, and it's right now, um, because I, I actually only have nine beers in my Nerd on Draft filter. Um right now my highest is Molotov Light at an A. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I went Hop Ranch Resin Dirt Wolf Mastermind, Bourbon County Stout. And yep, White Mastermind Oak. is an A minus. I have actually Frambois is an is an A minus. Really? Yep. Hmm. Yeah, we've had some good beers. We really have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I need I need re- need to restore one of my old backups to. Uh, Get my data. Yeah, you really yeah, do. Yeah, for anybody interested, we're doing we're doing development, so we're testing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, particularly around backup and restore. Yes, backup so, restore as well as a bunch of other interesting so, features. Uh, while you get to enjoy the app all the time, we get to blow away our data <laughs> regularly and, and 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 enjoy it some of the time. <laughs> yes, and create and and test bad versions of the app that yes. blow up. We and create some chaos in our beer drinking tracking. See what we do for the beer we love. Um, yeah, and and for the users, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, there's our sponsorship. Uh, for yeah. Tap so would you would you gave this an A? I gave this an you A. You gave White Oak and okay. I gave, and I gave it an A minus. Yeah, yeah. So we're okay. pretty close. It's I don't a think good, it's, it's a good beer. It's definitely good. I want to have some more of it, but I'm afraid to drink it too fast because at eleven 18, eighteen dollars good. 
Is it eighteen dollars good? Because uh, that was a uh, all their beers are expensive. Yeah, but and it's, I don't doubt that they're expensive because of the quality of the ingredients. And, like, and we I, should I, mention this is a seven hundred and fifty ml bottle. This is not yeah. the, um, you know, the, the we we've paid. I've paid more than this for like Imperial Donut Break and things like that. Yeah, um, and those are only twenty two ounces, but. I would definitely say this is worth the 18 bucks. Um, if you're looking at wine, yeah. uh, this has more value than an $18 bottle of wine to me. <laughs> oh, send your email to Jeff. Uh, yep. You can send it to, no, send it to Gabe. But uh, I, I think, you know, when I compare that, I always try and compare it to wine, you know, because he, I had a better idea <laughs> until a year ago. I really didn't. I wasn't really getting these kind of upper echelon beers. I was drinking yeah. decent beer, but I wasn't. I would go into a bottle shop, and a lot of listeners have mentioned this stuff, and tap seller users. Um, you know, I saw this beer you guys talked about on the show, and it was twenty-two dollars. What are you crazy? You know, and um, <laughs> a little bit probably. Um, but I think there's yeah, something the to that hand, experience. You know, that we were talking about a few minutes ago is like you're getting the experience of. Um, I think the the beers that I that we rate highly that are expensive that we buy they are worth the experience of drinking them, personally. Oh, I think so. I I have definitely had buyer's remorse on beers, hmm. um, but usually that results from something recommended by somebody I didn't know well, or from Beer Advocate or wherever. Yeah, you know, high, yeah. highly rated, and it turns out highly rated for people that aren't me. Um, <laughs> Like a canty on Fofum. Yeah, I'm like, I can't believe I spent that much money on it. Um, Even the Smoking Wood from the brewery. Really incredible, amazing beer. Very expensive as well. I think it was more than $18 for the bottle. Um, But I poured most of it out because it's a really smoky beer. It was a fantastic experience. And it sits in my memory as like, this was great. But. But. Like, you're not going to have it with many types of food. Right. Because it tastes a bit like eating a mouthful of peat. <laughs> like, the, take the smokiest whiskey you can imagine. Like a Lagavulin or a Lafroy or something. This was probably smokier. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was a great experience. I loved it. I drank it in these little tiny glasses I have. Um, over, you know, the course of the whole day while I was preparing a meal, it was really delicious. Um, but I got tired of it pretty quick. Hmm. I don't know if I, what I would recommend to somebody. I would say if somebody else has a bottle and offers you a drink, totally go for it. But don't <laughs> like, go out and buy it yourself. But don't go out and buy a whole bottle yourself unless you really love that smoky flavor. Or for you plan on oak, sharing it with somebody. Yeah, for white oak, I would say um, it's generally a really good beer. And I would say pick it up if you, if you can find it. But be prepared that it's expensive and it's really boozy. Very boozy, and um, if you see it and say wheat beer, well, that's for the summertime. Don't don't uh, don't follow that tendency. No, not for this. Do not do lawn work after drinking this. <laughs> you will chop off your hand. Yeah, don't definitely don't do lawn work before drinking this. Um, it's either yeah, this way. This is not a summertime. Not I would summertime. not want to drink this on a hot day. Yeah, it's too heavy. It's not going to quench your thirst. Uh, nope. This is very much. Uh, I think it's, I think of this as almost like a great fall or winter beer. Um, and Man, I, I can't wait for summer. I have some good summer beers lined up that I want us to 
to try, like low alcohol. No, you can't wait for summer for other like, reasons, I'm sure. Yeah, don't even get me started there. But I'm a big <laughs> fan of the um, lawn work style beer. Mm-hmm. Like the lower alcohol, thirst quenching, good on a hot day. Right. Um, I look for those, like, pe- I look for breweries that can do those well. Um, and there's not many. Well, <laughs> Especially in this day something. and age of like blow your head off IPAs. I will tell you something very interesting. I had a beer last night that has probably not made its way up to you. Um, the person who shared it with me got it right from the brewery from Victory. It's called Anniversary 18. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I passed it up at the beer store. It is actually here. It's really it good. Really, really, really good. Yeah. It's a session beer, much like uh, a go-to IPA from Stone. Yeah. Um, maybe not quite as bitter, a little bit more balanced than that. Uh, I've, I found the Stone go-to while I liked it. It was really, really bitter and hoppy. This is a little bit more balanced. But It's um, funny that I got that keg of that last summer, the go-to IPA, mm-hmm. and it, it was too much for lawn work. Yeah. I ended up getting a bunch of uh, cans of Notch uh, session I've never beers. heard of that. Notch. Notch is a company out here that makes session beers. They're very mild, um, I wouldn't say flavorless, but reduced flavor, mm-hmm. but low alcohol. Yeah, well, like it's, 4, hard to 4%. Get, it's hard to build flavor when you're trying to go for low alcohol. And yeah. I always think of Notch as the guy who made Minecraft, so that just throws me off. You know, He's also low alcohol, I think. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so... Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about how uh, purchasing well, just, expensive I, beers is <laughs> helping you I live just, simpler? I just find um, the whole living simple, living minimal, minimal this, minimal that. It's it's interesting um, to me because, I don't know, most of us live in some sort of self-delusion, right? About ourselves and our, our what we want out of life and... And we, in our aspirations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I always call you a secret Buddhist, and nah, that's yeah. a, that's a very <laughs> Buddhist concept. Don't, yeah, I think that we are. Oh yeah, you're a Buddhist, right? <laughs> so more or less, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm not. I'm. I'm I, you I say you're not, but a lot of the things you dude. say are very, very. Uh, you can in call keeping. me the dude or the duderino. <laughs> the dude. Yeah, I think you're right. We all live in this this. Uh, this bubble of, of how we think we actually are. And, you know, the folks who, you know, you you pointed it out exactly. Like, um, living simply uh, has become a marketing trick. Yeah, I guess that's what I was going to get to, was the living simply and living minimally and all that stuff has become another aspiration, not a, not a solution, to the problem, but an aspirational goal that we try to hold ourselves up to because somehow living minimally uh, immediately opens the door to happiness or something like that, right? Well, uh, but I do, that doesn't mean that there's no value in it. So, no, I, absolutely not. You know. It's just like appreciating why you're doing it, what you're doing it for. Um, that's why I was like really i'm blindsiding you or like hitting on the are you are you doing this because it's actually convenient because of where you live or are you doing it because it's convenient but it actually addresses something you cared about and that's why you moved there to for it to be convenient yeah those are two ways to look at the same thing well i think it's it's 
it's aspirational for me. You know, when we were, uh, I have a friend at work and we would have these conversations for hours, you know, over lunch and, you know, after work and stuff about how, you know, it's really important for people to get more, uh, you know, to be more focused about buying things locally and supporting local businesses and having less reliance on, you know, those, you know, 50 cent oranges from Mexico, like, you know, the expectations that you have over that. And, and, uh, you know, the, it, we, we are looking into moving and it just became, um, it wasn't a focus, but it was something that we definitely kept in mind when we were looking at places to move or things There's a feature. places to go. Yeah. It's like, you know, this is an opportunity where we can actually do the things that we said we wanted to do. Um, this is going to take some fairly major lifestyle changes. So living out here, like an like an hour and a half commute, exactly. Yeah. So you, it's the trade off of, uh, and I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have the capability to you know work from home some days and something. You know, so you, you're doing all of this balancing and weighing, but the 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 plus side or the um, the goal that we kept in mind was if we're living out here, we're going to be able to do a lot more things that are, that make that local living stuff convenient for us to your earlier point. Like, so it, yeah. it's, it's accomplishing both goals in a way. Uh, I don't know that we, um, it was an aspiration. So it wasn't like we knew for sure this is going to solve all of our problems. If we just move out there and go to a CSA, all life will be fantastic. It was a step towards something that we felt was worth worth doing. Um, I think the whole living minimal is a completely different thing. Um, and much like everything else, you know, uh, once it becomes a marketing gimmick, the pendulum swings back the other way to people who are like, at first, being minimal, buying minimal was a great thing. Once the it became a marketing tactic, everybody who <laughs> jumps from one side well, of the boat you to know, the other. You know why something becomes a marketing tactic? Because there's money to be made exactly. at it. Yeah. And that's always something to consider is like, well, there's money in this. Why is there money in this? Because people are willing to pay money for for this lifestyle. You notice... You notice uh, dumpster diving isn't a marketing tactic. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's not a lot of money to be made there. <laughs> well, um, in, in in artisanal dumpster diving. Well, there's there's this interesting thing where I read the um, uh, I think it's called "Let My People Surf" is the name of the book by Ivan uh, Schwanard, uh, the guy who started yeah. Patagonia. Okay, and um, he was talking about. Uh, they felt that doing organic cotton, which, you know, for their shirts, because they weren't treated with harsh chemicals and the cotton was, you know, uh, gotten from farms where people mm-hmm. grew it, you know, whatever. But he said that, you know, the cost of that was it, it doubled or quadrupled the cost of actually getting it. So it wasn't worth it unless they charged a lot more for the shirts or they found other ways yeah. to do things. And it kind of goes to your point of... um yeah, there was money in it, um, and I think they originally started doing it, even though their stuff cost more. It costs more to produce. It costs more for them to to run their company the way they did. So you're kind of supporting their their um, take on how things should be. But then, once organic cotton became something that you know people looked at Patagonia and was like, oh wow, 
There's there, money to be made. To Let's be reduce made. the Let's cost of making organic, organic cotton, cotton yeah. or you know, get figure out what the minimum requirements are to call something organic cotton. <laughs> Which is almost nothing. <laughs> Which is almost nothing. It's kind of like, you know, there was this whole thing of going back to eggs. It all comes back to eggs. Um, there was like, you know, this movement where... does it where, come back to chickens? Well, oh, that's Have a good one. Uh, eggs, hmm. uh, they were produced inhumanely. Chickens are kept in these cages. We should let them run free. So then this big cage-free movement started until farmers found out that the, the the rules were that they had to just be outside of a cage for like an hour a day and then they were you know packed into these big open warehouses stepping all over each other it wasn't any so more they got humane recess. yeah as long as you had recess it was you're considered free cage range. free right? free yeah, range right so yeah. mm-hmm. uh you know, and then they start selling this stuff because people felt like they were still doing the right thing. But and they were charging well, because, as much yeah. as it were, just like putting green on things. Yeah, you almost, exactly. you almost hit my hot button uh, topic, which was the whole chemical, harsh chemical, chemical treated, chemical free. That's something that drives me up the wall. Well, and the the anti bacterial soap stuff like that became Mm -hmm. a thing where people are like bacteria is bad you don't want to do this and then everything was wiping bacteria off of things and killing it and then the doctors are like wait you can't get all the bacteria (laughs) you know we need bacteria turns out (laughs) turns out we're actually killing everything mommy bloggers are actually not that good at science yeah who would have thought and so (laughs) uh sorry you can write those emails to me. Yeah, that one goes to Gabe. Um, <laughs> but but it is true in that, you know, once there was money to be made, so, oh, people want free-range chickens. Let's figure out how to do free-range cheaply. Maybe – and so – and, boy, we talked about this before. But, like, Free how market's do you, how do really you know, an f- interesting thing, yeah. But how do you know what – what the source is of really anything. Um, you go live on a goat farm. You, yeah, exactly. Or you... No, that's the, that, that's the extreme variant. I guess live conscientiously, I guess, would be... That's a great way to a put it. Better, a better description or a description that I would feel more comfortable with I mean, than I, I, the living I, minimally or the living locally or say mindfully whatever. if you don't want to no, throw up in your mouth. No, i do that. No. Um, mm-hmm. But it is true. I mean, that word mindfully has been somewhat corrupted, but it is being, you know, being, paying attention. It just means paying I attention. I hear there's money in things that are mindful. <laughs> exactly. You should so. add that to anything. We should put that in our, in our... <laughs> I'm going to call this... Uh, this is quite, quite the aggressive episode. I don't know why. This is... Uh, probably something that s- sits um, awkwardly with me because it's something that I actually like somewhat care about, and I feel like it's difficult to understand and to um, I'm just gonna say it not feel like a douchebag <laughs> when when I when I talk about it or think about it yeah. because it really does feel kind of like douchey to say like I'm gonna live locally and source my local. My local ingredients here in this desert that I have water pumped into yeah. so that I could live here. Well, um, but don't you think that if you were really doing that, it goes to the self-delusion. Like if you're really doing that, you'd be moving to a place where you can fend for yourself and, and see to your own needs, right? Um, yeah, if I was really living simply, my family wouldn't survive the winter here in Massachusetts, just like so many other generations before didn't survive the winter. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're, we're not living simply here because we have uh, natural gas pumped to our house to keep it warm. Um, I, I don't I don't know. It's definitely a... 
It's a thorny something one. I feel uncom- it's something I feel uncomfortable with, uh, which probably makes me cantankerous. Well, I think it's also it's super complicated because, you know, for as many arguments you have on one side, uh, or not arguments, for as many pluses that you would have on one side, you could argue easily the other way because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I could have somebody um, kind of looking down their nose at me, telling me how they eat uh, free-range chicken eggs. Um, but then when you break it to them what that actually means, like, th- that's they probably didn't know, right? So if you extrapolate to all the things that you believe <laughs> are doing right uh, and what you're supporting and all that stuff, uh, there's no way to know for sure unless, like you said, you're living on a goat farm. I do think that living where we are now I think this goes back to my earlier point. Living where we are now, we have a better chance of understanding that because I go to the CSA and see them growing and picking stuff. And yeah, you know the guy that actually picked the thing yes, out of the dirt. I know the put guy. Put it in your basket. You talk you, to the guy who grew it. You understand what their philosophy is for how they run their farm. They don't grow certain things, and they say, "Here's my reasons for not doing it, and here's my reasons for growing this over that." Um, the guy who uh, has the grass-fed beef place is a is a, a doctor, and has on his website has all of this you know nutritional stuff and studies that he's done of uh, his cows that you can look over the fence and see them, see they're healthy, yeah. see they're eating grass. See, so I, I think I have a better chance of understanding that I'm really getting grass-fed beef from a cow living on a farm than somebody who. You know, they yeah, put but a then little... the argument can be made that on a whole, if everything switched to organic and grass-fed, our environment couldn't support that for feeding the number of people on, on the earth. Unless they stopped right? eating beef, which is... Well, exactly. Unless they stopped eating most of the things that we consume. Um, it Like, our environment can't support that unless it's an extremely efficient uh, production method. Yeah. Well, this is getting into a far deeper political discussion. <laughs> I, I think I'm I want to go just doing... enjoy this beer and, and bloviate <laughs> somewhere else. Yes. This, I mean, this is, this these point. are all um, uh, amazing topics to delve into and really interesting. But um, after two glasses of 11.5% uh, white oak, probably yeah. not the best time to do it. <laughs> ah, this is what it's like hanging out in a bar, man. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, so I guess if you want to contact us, uh, I don't know what do they do? Tweet at us, or yep, you can tweet you can send at an us. email to like uh, I don't know in nod at gravitywellgroup.com. You can you can contact us, or we're on Twitter all the time. We're on Twitter. You can, we have Who a, are we kidding? Ex- Living simply on Twitter. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of ways to get hold of us if you want to bring up anything related to this. Um, we I, I, we actually like doing the well actually segment. So uh, oh, yeah. look forward yeah, to we, any uh, feedback. Our well actually would be self serving. We have people that are like uh, written in saying that they really like the show. My my favorites are the people that write in to say I don't like beer and I skip the beer part. Yeah, yeah, that's we've had awesome. a few of those. I think that's you, fantastic. You people, you people rock on because. I would totally not listen to a show that 20% of it was something I didn't care about. Yep. So thank you. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> a huge cool. thank you. And uh, we hope to keep uh, entertaining you with our stupid thoughts. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. See you, man. Bye. Bye.